Hi, you're listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. This is your host of New Orleans by Mouth, Chef Amy Sense. And on the phone today, I have a guy that I hope will be my new friend because I want to go visit him, Mr. Simon Tebow, who is in Nova Scotia right now where he lives. And he just wrote a book called Pantry and Palate, and it's Remembering and Rediscovering Acadian Food. So I am so excited to talk to you today, Simon. Oh, thank you so much. And anytime you want to come to Nova Scotia, let me know, and I will happily take you anywhere you want to go. Okay, well, that is a deal, and you can't get out of it. No. So everyone everyone <laughs> here in New Orleans has heard that, right? But, uh, yeah. yes, I actually, you know, my my family is here originally from, New, you know, New Orleans by way of the Irish and the Germans, but I grew up in Cajun country, and so I claim that because it is the food and the foodways of the people that I grew up with. And it's just so fascinating to me to see the similarities and the differences between, you know, how the culture evolved when it moved down here to South Louisiana. So let's start with who are the Acadians? Well, the Acadians basically are, the short version of the story is that the Acadians are the descendants of the first French settlers of what is now Atlantic Canada, specifically New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Edward Island. And in between 1755 and 1765, because the Acadians would not sign a loyalty to the English crown, and to be completely honest, they didn't care that much about the French crown either because they'd been away for so long, um, they were forcibly removed from their lands. And um, some of them ended up through a whole bunch of roundabout ways in Louisiana, uh, but some were allowed to return to what is now, again, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and Prince Edward Island, and even parts of Maine, actually. Um, and so there are some American Acadians as well, uh, not just our tropical cousins down in Louisiana, as we like to call L'Acadie Tropicale, the tropical Acadia. Um, and they ended up living in, in that area here in, in the Canadian Maritimes. And um, they came in contact with uh, all kinds of different other communities around us. Um, you mentioned the German and Irish. We also came in contact with German, Irish. Um, we also came in contact with loyalists who had fled um, the United States after the War of Independence and uh, Germans. And all these foods together, all these communities and all these uh, communities of people helped forge over time what is the Acadian pantry um, and that created what is Acadian food. And, you know, I love that, you know, when you tell the story, you say it much nicer than I think we do. Um, We're like, they got kicked out by the British and France was like, mm-hmm. you're not really French. You can't come here. <laughs> and Louisiana, you know, we like to think that Louisiana, you know, opened their arms because, you know, living off the land and uh, farming and hunting and trapping and fishing are our way of life here down in South Louisiana. And it seems to be something y'all do pretty well there. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, friends of mine from Nova Scotia, actually, from where I grew up, I grew up in a French-speaking community of Acadians in southwestern Nova Scotia. It's known as Clare, or sometimes called like um, St. Mary's Bay. Or, um, But anyways, a whole bunch of people I know from there are now living in parts of Louisiana, specifically Lafayette. 
and uh, some of them came back. And when they did come back, they said it kind of reminded us of home, especially about the whole hunting thing and trapping thing. Because uh, I grew up in a household where my father used to go hunting for deer and for uh, wild, like all kinds of wild game. Um, and so there were certain reflections of things that reminded them of home. But I mean, the best description I ever heard of the difference between an Acadian and a Cajun was a gentleman named Barry Onsolet, who uh, is an amazing gentleman, who once said, imagine two twin brothers separated at the age of eight and meeting again when they're in their 60s or 70s. And that's kind of true of the Acadian and Cajun connection and then amongst us, because we always say cousins. Yes. Um, we as Acadians um, came in contact with the populations around us, and that created who we are as a people, as a cuisine and all these things. And the same thing happened in Louisiana. You can't talk about Cajun cuisine without talking about all the influences around them. And so there were very many things that reflected or it's almost like another side of the mirror. Absolutely. And I love, you know, when you think about it, uh, it, it's kind of funny how you said, oh, like an eight-year-old meeting when they're older, because it's it's that thing where we say here in New Orleans or here in South Louisiana, we don't pronounce anything correctly. And les Acadiennes become Cajun and, and they're cousins, but uh, it gets changed and adapted to the lifestyle here. But I really want to talk about like, what is Acadian food? Because when we think here in Louisiana and we say, oh, our food is of, of the Acadian people, it's kind of classic French, but then we go, okay, but it's totally different uh, fish and totally different animals. It, you know, it's it's different. So talk about what is very distinctive about y'all's cuisine. Yeah, um, like I said, like in the same way that the Cajuns, and just a quick uh, note, there's nothing wrong with the way that uh, people in Louisiana say things, especially <laughs> the Cajuns. I mean, it's just a different way. Like the word Cajun comes from the French word Cajun. Yes. And like where I say, I don't say I'm Acadien, which is the quote-unquote correctly. I'm saying Acadien. Acadien. Kind of like Cajun. Acadien. Same thing. Um, so there's nothing wrong with saying anything the way you want. I love um, you for that. Because <laughs> we, we will change any word to make sense for us. That is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but like the same thing that happened amongst the, the Cajuns who came in contact with all the communities around them, they helped stock their larders and create the cuisine of who they were. Now, amongst Acadians, where I live here in the Canadian uh, Maritimes, we were in contact with German, Irish, English, Scottish, and Loyalist. But um, the trade routes were different. So there was no spice there were, uh, in the same way. One of my favorite stories is a gentleman I know, uh, Mr. Lucius Fontenot, who grew up in Mamou, but now lives in Lafayette. And um, first time he came from Louisiana to Nova Scotia, and we served him this Acadian dish that we all love called Frico. And Frico is a chicken and dumpling soup. Uh, very simple. And the dumplings inside are not flour-based. Um, they're actually potato-based. You take a potato, you rasp it and then you extrude all of the liquid out of it, and then you reconstitute it with stock and make little dumplings out of it, and you put it in this chicken soup. Now, 
it's kind of like a joke amongst us Acadians that every time Cajuns and people from Louisiana come up and try and they all go, your food is really bland, like, <laughs> seriously bland, like where's the pepper? And it's true. I mean, but it's also because like we just haven't gotten used. We don't ha- didn't have access to those things traditionally. However, what we did um, have access have access to was a need to survive. And so most of the lands where Acadians were put were not areas that were easy to work the land. And so you're growing subsistence crops. You're growing potatoes. You're growing a few root vegetables. You go out fishing for, like, let's say, mackerel or cod um, or things like that. Pork is, of course, still big. Um, um, And um, also uh, fresh fish uh, and things like that. So those things would be around. But it was very much a very humble peasant cooking, a lot of, like, one-pot dishes and things like that. Um, so it was very much food that stuck to your ribs and just kept you going out throughout the whole day. It was very much subsistence and, 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 and around it. Um, I like to say that, like, seriously, like, the Acadian larder, no matter where you go in Atlantic Canada, you've got salt, you have pepper, you have potatoes, you have lard. Uh, and molasses. And if you're lucky, you might have a few baking spices. Um, but that was pretty much it. And like the most ex- exotic thing to people outside of this area would be the use of um, salting herbs. Anywhere you go within, like, um, where there are people of French origin, you tend to have. Um, some kind of greenery that is salted to have that flavor throughout the year. So where I grew up in southwestern Nova Scotia, we salt uh, scallions or green onions. In parts of New Brunswick, you'll have salted herbs, usually things like savory and things like that. And even that whole thing of practicing of salting herbs even goes all the way up into Quebec. That's just a very, very old French way of So thinking. explain that process, because I think that's something interesting for people. You know, the preserving of something throughout the seasons, you know, what? how do you salt green onions? What do you do? Uh, how do I salt onions? Or the, uh, the green onions or the savory or something. If you're salting these herbs throughout the season, what are you doing? Are you packing them on salt? Are you curing them in salt? Yeah, um, it's funny. Um, where I grew up, you can easily buy them in grocery stores. Like, people will just make them and sell them to grocery stores <laughs> to get them kind of like... Rue in, in Louisiana is like you can buy rue in a store, you can buy salted onions, you can buy all kinds of things like that. Um, but no, it, I grew up in a household where we still did it. Like my parents would just buy bunches upon bunches of green onions, or they actually would grow them for the longest time. You'd chop them up roughly, and then you would take a coarse salt, and then you would sprinkle it over and liberally. And when I say liberally, I mean to the point that you find it slightly uncomfortable, the amount of salt you're putting in this. Um <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's true. The first time I did it, I called my dad and I said, how much salt do I need to put? And he said, well, when you think you have enough salt, put more. And I was like, okay, let's go. And so I made it. And then the next day you remove a little bit of that liquid and then you pack it into a jar and uh, you've got salted onions for the, for the, for the rest of the winter. If you don't want the color to fade, um, you can put it in a fridge. That'll totally work. I tend to put it in the fridge or in the freezer or whatnot, but it was made traditionally to be like the amount of salt in it was to keep it like there's no microbi- like microbiotic or not microbiotic, um, 
microbial bacteria or anything like that kind of going on. So it's totally food safe. But what it was is the, the, that seasoning is it gives you, cause most people season with salt to taste. Yes. This gives you a way to season with salt, but in a much more round flavor, it gives a much more rich flavor to end like rounded flavor rather than just plain salt at the end of the dish, which I think is really kind of fun. I've even had friends who are vegans, um, who are like, Oh, what can I use instead of just salt? And I was like, use this. And they kind of love it. And it, it, it's made a difference for a few friends of mine that they've completely fallen in love with it. I'm so going to do that. Like I'm super excited here. We're in peak citrus season right now. And I'm, I'm looking forward to last year, a gentleman came to fix something in my house and he looked at me and he goes, you're a chef. And I said, yeah. And he goes, all right, I'll be back tomorrow. And he came back with 60 pounds of Meyer lemons from the tree in his backyard. (laughs) And I was like, score. And so I did that same process with the Meyer lemons and and did those salted lemons. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, now I need to I need to do this with the herbs because it's I I feel like it's something maybe we need to bring back here in South Louisiana that we we didn't know was part of our past. It's not something I hear a lot about. So that I find that so fun and interesting. (laughs) Oh, yeah, and that tradition of salting things is, like, beyond your Acadian roots. Those are your French roots all yes. the way back to France. I mean, that's a very French thing, no matter no matter what kind of no part of the French diaspora you are, that's part of you. Well, so what is, you know, you all have a lot of, of history and tradition, and you wrote this book called uh, Pantry and Palette. So let's talk a little bit about the book and how you're, uh, how does this book look? How does it tell the story of the traditions and the food of your people? Um, I'll, I'll tell the story in a roundabout way, but it'll still be a good story. Okay. Um, I got an offer from a publisher to write this book. Um, I work as a food writer and as a journalist here in Canada. And the publisher had heard some of the work that I'd done for, for public radio here up in CBC, which is like kind of like Canada's NPR. And uh, they said, we want to know if you'd like to write a book. And I said, sure. They said, how about a book about Acadian food? And my immediate response was, meh, <laughs> I'm good. Because I, I, I was like, who's going to care? Really, who's going to care about this? And uh, I thought about it some more. And I am a cookbook addict. I just got back from New York uh, last night. And I went to two of my favorite cookbook stores. Shout out to Kitchen Arts and Letters and Bonnie Slotnick. Um, two beautiful cookbook stores. And I have a two-foot stack of books on my kitchen table right now. And I read cookbooks cover to cover. I, really I love do. you for I, that, too. <laughs> <laughs> I read cookbooks cover to cover because I want to know as much as I can. Um, and I realize that there are no cookbooks about a Canadian food. There was one that was published in 1974 uh, in French, and it wasn't translated into English until 2001. And the kind of cookbooks I like to read are cookbooks that tell me about it, people. I don't want to just know how to dump and stir. I want to know why cuisine or culture exists. And I thought there were no, there's nothing new talking about this. There were no books really talking about this. And I, uh, I started writing the book, and um, when I was doing the research, I was really lucky. My mom, I uh, was telling her about it, and she said, well, you do know that I have my mother's notebooks. Ooh. And so she passed me these handwritten notebooks that were her mother's, 
her grandmothers and extended family members. And they were basically this beautiful record of early 20th century food practices and food ways and recipes. And um, I started digging into them because I was like, okay, I need to do the recipes first. And the further I dug into these recipes, the further I came into understanding what my culture is in a way I never would have experienced before. Because here in, in, in Nova Scotia and in Atlantic Canada, being Acadian is what comes out of your mouth. You speak French. That's it. It's your name. It's the way you introduce yourself. Like, I am Simon, son of Hector, son of Ulysses, son of William, son of Isidore. So that way people will say, oh, you're, that, you're so-and-so, son. I can tell who you are. But I had never experienced getting to know who I was through the way that I ate in a conscious way. I mean, you said you grew up in Cajun country so that the food that you eat tells you who you are, but you eat it in a, in a kind of passive way. But when you're making it for other people, or when you're really thinking about it, you experience your culture in a way that you don't really get to in a lot of other ways. And it was kind of amazing. And um, I had this really beautiful moment. I um, was at the book launch for the book. And uh, I'd been working on this book for two years. And my mother was there, and my mother's brother was there. And as I said, the recipes are based off of um, recipes that were my grandmother's. Now, I didn't know her. She passed away when I was like four or five, so I never really got to know her. I only knew her through stories. And uh, I had someone make up a cake in the book, which is a molasses uh, cake. And uh, my uncle came up to me, and he just said, I haven't eaten this since I was a child. And so I now get to, I got to understand the relationship that this woman that I never got to know created and had with her children who are so important to me. Like they're my, it's my mother and my uncle. So I've gotten this relationship with this woman that I never got to know. And in a way that I don't think anybody else gets to do, or at least, uh, do you know what I mean? Like that kind of really beautiful connection with your family in a way that you never get to in any other way. So I'm really grateful for that. But the thing that's really blown my mind with this book is that, like I said, who's, I thought originally who's going to care. And here in Canada, the book has just kind of had a lot of really wonderful attention. I've, I just recently did um, a national television show here in Canada. It's basically like, the Canadian version of The View, <laughs> and it okay. was like national television, and it was on the cover of national newspapers, and I keep on getting, I've been doing press for this for six months now, and it's not about, oh, my book gets press, it's about, oh my God, people care about this, people care about Acadian food, people care about connecting with your past and your culture through food, no matter what your ethnicity or your cultural background is, and that to me is really beyond wonderful. I agree. And that connect, I feel like as diners, as chefs, as writers, um, and as people who live in these communities, that is the direction we're being pulled. I think our lives are so chaotic and they're so crazy and they're so high tech that there is something about the nostalgia of learning about simpler times, simpler food and connecting with the stories of the people who brought that to us. And, you know, those stories are 
passed down. They're they're part of who we are. And like you said, your your uncle knowing that, uh, saying I haven't had this cake. Uh, you know, food evokes so many memories that it can trigger that. You know, we haven't remembered since we were little kids or those experiences and good times where you realize that you are connecting with your ancestors. And I think the lovely part about it, and as someone from Louisiana, I think you'll get this. I mean, because the Cadians or specifically Cajuns um, claimed their place in the United States through the food that they made. This is who we are. Like as I said, Acadians, express themselves what comes out of their mouths. I think Cajuns express, themse- express themselves by what goes in their mouths. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, Acadian- and so we as Acadians would often be envious of the Cajuns because your food became like the darling of the United States culinary scene through so many people, people like Paul Prudhomme and people now in the 21st century. They're just like all these people are like, we will talk about Cajun food. And, um, People are really kind of excited now, like with this book and amongst the Canadian communities, like we have a cuisine that is worth talking about. And um, also the whole thing of just, if I can tell you a quick story, like, you know how in Louisiana, uh, there are people who do still do boucheries. Like it's not as big as, as it used to be, but you still go to a boucherie yes. with like a pig slaughter and all of that, right? Yes. Yeah. So same gentleman I mentioned earlier, Lucius Bono uh, from Mamu, he still does them and whatnot. And, um, I did a talk um, at a conference, and there were about, it was down where I grew up, and there were about, I don't know, 30, 40 people there. And I said, How many of you remember going to a boucherie? And uh, very few people lifted their hands. And I said, Well, how many of you still eat boudin? Now, our boudin is different than yours, but it's still a boudin. And uh, a few hands got up, and I said, How many of you know how to make it? And there was one hand left up. And I said, that is your culture disappearing right in front of your eyes. And I said, it's not about the fact you don't have to eat boudin to preserve your culture, but you do. I would suggest that you recognize that these things that fed your ancestors and fed you are who you are. And because what would happen at a boucherie beyond the partying and the eating, what you have are communities of people small or large, getting together and helping each other. There's this wonderful expression, la partie du voisin, the neighbors share. Because if it's the fall, like right now it's November, so perfect time for boucherie. All right, I've got a pig in my backyard. You are my neighbors. You guys are all going to come over. We're going to slaughter this pig. Someone's going to collect the blood. Someone's going to make the boudin. We've got fresh lard. We're going to, instead of salting it, we're going to save some of it and deep fry some stuff and make some donuts. Uh... We're going to eat some of this pork fresh because it's the winter and we're going to have to be eating salt pork for the next like <laughs> four or five months. So all of these things come together. And then at the end of the night, here's some of this from fresh pork. I'll see you next week. We're going to go to the other guy's house and, and we're going to slaughter thing. his pig. And he's going to share some of that pork with us. And that community integrity around it all, around food, is something that has so disappeared for good and for bad. But I think it should be chronicled as much as possible. And I think amongst the Canadian communities, people didn't always think about it in that way. And I think it's been wonderful to have people think about it in that way. I I love that. And I, I do think it needs to be chronicled as much as possible because 
we don't want to lose these cultures and food ways that make us who we are. Uh, would you mind, Simon, telling everybody where they can get the book and where they can order it? Because I know after talking to you, I'm like, this is a great Christmas present. <laughs> so <laughs> and, and, so where can they buy it? Um, the book is distributed in the U.S. It just came out last week. Um, you can buy it um, through Amazon, which is really awesome. But if you really want to be super good about this, I would say go to your local independent bookseller, give them the name of the book, Pantry and Palette. It's distributed in the U.S and ask them to order it for you. Otherwise, I would say go on Amazon, but support your local bookstore, too. Yes, we like those uh, local bookstores. Are you going to be coming down to Louisiana to do any book sign-ins? Can we convince you to come down and visit? Uh, I do want to go. I want to go in the spring when it's cold. Like in, I'm thinking I'd love to go in like February or March when it's like still cold as heck up here, and I just want to hear it, have something a little bit warm. I'm out. working on it. I'm trying to get myself down there for something. I don't know. I just need to get down to Louisiana and meet my cousin Kaja. Yes. Well, I'll be your, your new cousin too. And uh, so we'll make a deal. I'm going to come visit you when it's warm up there and you come right. visit me when it's warm here. And then I'll hook you up. You hook me up and we're going to eat our way through each town. That sound like a deal? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. Done. Well, for my listeners out there, you've been listening to WRBH Radio 88.3 FM. Uh, thank you to Simon Thibault. And I know Thibault is a last name that many of us know here in South Louisiana. So I got excited that I knew how to pronounce this particular author's name as soon as I got the press release. So thank you, Simon, for joining us today. I encourage y'all to get his book, Pantry and Palette. This is Chef Amy Sins. Until next time, ciao.